you're now listening to The Raw Collection. I'm your host, Angela Pennyfeather, and today's podcast is all about luxury. We are speaking about luxury, taking a deep dive into the meaning of it, and really I feel like how brands stay true to the concept. So if you ever wanted to take a class or a course in luxury, pull a chair, get comfortable because this is for you. Joining the podcast is Tomai Sardari, a professor of luxury marketing and branding at NYU's Stern School of Business. And she's also a strategist in luxury marketing and branding. Tomai, I hope I said it correctly. I have been practicing this. Welcome to the podcast. Very nice to be here, Angela. Thank you for having me. We will be talking about my favorite subject, luxury. So... And and I love the fact that you mentioned right before we spoke, right before we did the podcast, is that you're not shy about speaking about this subject. So this is going to be awesome. Fantastic. So let's just rip the Band-Aid off, right? Like, what is luxury? What is luxury? It's a very complicated concept, right? And I always like to start with a concept of a, at a very high level before even discussing brands or objects or, you know, things that we want in our life. And even though everyone says that luxury is very subjective, this is absolutely true. But I've also discovered that when a truly luxury experience happens or a truly luxurious object is in front of us, everybody recognizes it, right? Mm -hmm. So luxury is definitely a universal concept. It is always associated with beauty, with scarcity. And it has something to do with culture. In other words, if you're not part of the culture, you cannot relate to the luxury experience. Right. But most importantly, I think, and that is where brands that have a lot of experience in creating luxury truly capitalize on the concept, is that luxury is a very multi-sensory experience and good products always address more than one sense. Mm-hmm. So it's not only the physical that is triggered, but also emotional. And of course, uh, the intellectual and spiritual aspect of of our being. So how can, let's talk about that spiritual aspect. How can that play a role in luxury? Well, you know, imagine standing in front of a beautiful image. I don't know what the image would be. You can make it whatever you want it. Uh, it can mm-hmm. be a landscape, it can be a painting on the wall, or it can be a beautiful scarf that is made of great materials and, and, and great artistry in putting the image together. And somehow you're transported, right? Because the beauty of the object is such that you're almost immersed yes. yourself in it without thinking about buying it or wearing it or showing off to your friends. So that spiritual mm-hmm. aspect, I think, is what really motivates us and wants us to be part of the brands and and creates the desire around specific objects. That's actually a really awesome way of looking at it because I never, and it it makes 100% sense because I know that sometimes when I'll go into a specific store, let's say Tiffany's, and I won't buy anything, but there's just something about when I get, you know, they open the doors and you go walk inside, especially I'm talking about the one on Fifth Avenue and 57th Street, that I just feel fully immersed in like 
the history and I think of Breakfast at Tiffany's and I think of the cultural aspect and I think of certain music that mm-hmm. comes to mind and I can walk around, not buy anything, but just feel totally immersed in the beauty of it. So like that's that's really, really cool what you just said. I can see that you are fully immersed in Tiffany. Is this a Tiffany blue nail polish you have on you? Oh my gosh. So this is, this is totally, totally was not meant for this occasion, but I ended up wearing for some reason. And you know what? When I picked up the nail polish, I said, yeah, this is it. So there you have it. It was just spirit. It was spirit. Of- <laughs> there you have it. Very good. So some people, I love Tiffany. For some people, they think when it comes to luxury, it can be a bit of a vanity kind of thing. They think of it as superficial. They can think of it as a person that is just full of ego when it comes to luxury. Talking about the individual themselves. Is luxury for everyone or is it for a specific type of person? I think a specific type of consumer. Yeah, it is for everyone. And and who are we to say that people should not be buying what they like, right? Luxury is inclusive. Right. And, and this is why there are so many brands that are creating different types of experience, these different types of retail and products and allow people to come in so that they can find exactly what they're seeking. Because one thing that we need to understand is that for a variety of reasons, we're not all at the same level on that spiritual and intellectual journey. And luxury is intellectually demanding, right? You need to understand design to appreciate good design. If you don't understand it, you won't see the difference between a cheaper product that is a lookalike and the real product that it is what it is. And so, but who says that people should not be participating, right? So I definitely believe that luxury is for everybody. And I think that if there is some sort of self-reflection to really know what makes you happy, go for it. Buy what makes you happy, but don't change what makes you happy tomorrow, right? Because then you get into that roller coaster of wanting and being unhappy because you're spending all your money. Right. That is, wow. I mean, I feel like we've just gone super deep in luxury than I possibly should have imagined because it is you know when you desire more that becomes let's say ego that's when ego is like I want I want I want as opposed to like you're saying do it because it really fulfills you and that's it you know knowing the difference of it and I think that could be hard for some and I think there are some that get it right I do want to talk a little bit about how brands and inclusivity because you mentioned that how brands or luxury has become inclusive for me, I felt that I didn't, I didn't get the feeling of inclusivity. And I, you know, I'll be honest, probably until brands started advocating or speaking up for their voice when there became social economic issues or issues of racial injustice or issues of sustainability, we started hearing that more. And that's when I was like, oh, they're speaking and they have a voice and they're, they're, they're understanding not just the older demographic, but they're understanding now that new millennial Gen Z audience that is all about rights. And that was for me where I felt like they were becoming inclusivity, inclusive. Yeah. And I do think that actually 
a lot of good changes are coming to the marketplace because of what luxury brands are doing. And I'm talking about the big conglomerates, LVMH, Herring, and Hermes. All of them have fantastic DI initiatives. But unfortunately, we do need to remember that brands are personified in front of each customer through another person. So whatever the social conditioning of that person is or has been, how quickly they're able to overcome it, you know, to see the light, to be more enlightened, it's something that we cannot totally control because at the same time, I think these are businesses and they're also focused on the sales and revenues. And if a person is a great sales associate, I think this is where the friction becomes, right? How to bring them up to date but also have a profitable business. It's, it's a very difficult situation. Yeah. But I do believe that they are leading the way on how the marketplace should be transformed. Absolutely. You just mentioned Hermes. And I have been, like, for me, when I think of them, like, when I think of the brand, I think of it as a successful luxury brand. What are your thoughts it's, it's as if you were a fly on the wall in one of my classes because I have made Hermes my poster child of the ultimate luxury brand. I don't want them to hear it and it goes to their head, although they yeah. are the best. It has to do with many things. It has to do with how they treat their people. It has to do with mission of the brand, which is very much about preservation of the French heritage. And so any kind of yes. corporate development investment goes into maintaining a specific industry and, and bringing it into the brand and creating a whole lifestyle brand for us consumers. And then, of course, the artistry, the craftsmanship. But primarily for me, the innovation and creativity. There is no other brand that has such level of creativity like Hermes. And this is where, you know, Somebody may not like the brand for whatever reasons, maybe for the symbols or for whatever personal reason. But I think that it is, it is a difficult brand to fully understand because it operates at a very high level of design. It really does. And like you mentioned not too long ago, there's that scarcity to it, you know, that absolutely makes it. Yeah. It's, it's all cap, and I think, you know, production, I'm sorry to interrupt you, production numbers, you know, it's, it's all already yep. decided. And so there is so much to go around and, and it makes it more scarce. Right. And I, I think too, when it comes to their, and what, from what I've seen, when it comes to their advertising and marketing, is that it's rare. You hardly see it unless it's in the publications and the leading publications. But, you know, you're not going to see billboards or you know, those out of any out of home advertisements or anything like that. I think that they stay true. And maybe that's part of that European history of that. They stay true to the brand of it to be like, this is what you'll see and you'll see it for a limited time and then come back at another time for it. Yeah. And I feel like I miss that some of the other brands. Other brands have a different operation structure. And, and so some of the brands have the capacity to produce more inventory in greater numbers. So they're able to respond to some sort of increased demand if it comes through the advertising. But you're right. The other brands mm-hmm. are 
a luxury in terms of what they offer, but their communication strategy is a mass communication strategy. Yeah. Turn on the TV, if yeah. people are still watching TV, right? We don't know that. But <laughs> you can see the ads for, for certain items. And, and that shows you that you're trying to appeal to the mass demographic as opposed right. to the customer. Right, for sure. What's, what's, a, what's a day like in your class, Tomai? Like, you know, I'm a student. Am I learning about the current trends? You know, are you taking us back to the history of fashion? You know, what is it like, you know, let's say right now today in your class, what are students learning? Yes, we're learning a combination of things. So I do insist on history, not so much because I'm in a business school, right? So I don't do history, but I do think it's extremely important to understand at, at which points in history each brand was able to grow and why. And if you really understand that, then you're able to foresee other changes that are happening in the marketplace today. So this is the reason why I look back and make them read some historical texts and and say a little bit very dead. That's one part. I'm really going into design and creativity. So I take luxury objects and I I try to almost deconstruct them and, and see why are they rare. Why are they beautiful? Why have they become iconic? Because for certain brands, certain products are iconic and are evergreen, right? Everybody always wants something. And and then, of course, we're talking about the cultural changes that are happening in society very much along the lines that you discussed earlier, new values, new behaviors, and how are you going to address that? Because this is who your consumer is. And if this is the consumer, you need to adjust how you appear in front of them in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and so one thing that I would say in, in my class, and, and I think that the students who enjoy the classes are the ones who do well, is that I always ask them to synthesize, right? If you're in luxury marketing, you have to have really a sharp, critical thinking because there are ideas that you can lift from each one of these areas. Sometimes it's historical, something has happened, it's going to be repeated. Sometimes it's about the design that gives you a competitive advantage. Sometimes it's really figuring out how to tap into the current cultural changes and appear the leader of these cultural changes. And so you have to be able to combine things. There is no textbook in reality for this, right? No one can teach you how to think. You have to be the creative person who puts everything together. So it's not an easy thing. And and people ask me, why is it so difficult? Well, think about it. There would be many more brands who would be part of that universe. Well, it's not easy. You cannot be successful. They, they, even they make mistakes sometimes, right? So it is the one area that I think demands the most critical skills and application of critical skills. And so it's challenging. But fine. It's challenging, but it sounds cool. It sounds really cool, especially for those that have that interest. Like, I feel like you have to be interested in order to take your class or take these courses in luxury marketing. You mentioned the history component, and I want to talk about a brand that has been able, in my eyes, to bring a little history and modern and still stay true to the brand. And that would be Tiffany's. Was it, I think, two or three years ago when they made the headlines that I'm, you know, no longer not your mother's Tiffany's. And 
I remember being on Fifth Avenue and the disruption that from, you know, people on Twitter and social media to, you know, pedestrians questioning what is happening. What do they mean not your mother's? You know, Tiffany's is always just supposed to be Tiffany's. Where are they going? What is it looking like? And I, for me, I'm thinking that they're going into a lifestyle brand. Then that's how my thoughts are. But do you think, for one, what were your thoughts on the campaign? And two, are they heading in the right direction? I am part of the minority, I think, along with you, that I love the campaign. I loved it. And I think it is okay. very bold to be able to come out and say this whole fairy tale that is still rooted in the 19th century or early 20th century. It's great, but it cannot be the one that's yeah. you for the 21st century. Uh, right. But I also think that Americans, because this, the, the most complaints came from the American public, not from the international public. Right. are very emotional about this brand because think about it, it's the one brand that we have that is an, a, a native, right? For sure. We are. And so I think that's a little, you know, short-sighted to know to yeah. see that it's time for a change. So I loved it. I love all the initiatives that have come out of Tiffany's, including that campaign. And then, of course, the other campaign with Jay-Z and Beyonce representing what American society is today. And and I think it's great. I think that they have connected a little bit more to the American culture than we have. And I think you're right. Americans, you get emotional and obsessed sometimes with, and they don't like change. They don't like change. Sweet, but yes. It's crazy. And I, but I, one thing that I, I'm enjoying is that there are brands that are taking risks outside of the traditional retail footprint. Instead of luring guests just to their store, they're finding ways to create these experiential moments to get, you know, other people to know about what's happening with their brands. I remember like Coach. They collaborated with Rockefeller Center to do these really fun activations that had, you know, nothing to do with the store itself, but the brand and just to let people know that we're still around and, you know, create that brand awareness. I know Kate Spade does it a lot on the streets with their carts and does really fun truck activations. You know, are you enjoying these kind of moments? And is there a brand that you feel that you have felt has been really successful in this experiential space? I enjoy all these moments and I think that these moments have to be specific to what the brand is. And so these moments are the most successful when they're well aligned with the true DNA of each brand. And speaking of Fifth Avenue, a brand that I love very much is right across. It's Bulgari. And I think Bulgari is another brand where you walk in and especially the 57th Street store, the people who are there, the salespeople, the manager. They're wonderful. It's, it's almost like they welcome you home. And, and, and honestly, I'm not a client. So let's make that clear, right? So you feel very welcomed and you feel very much at home. So they have done activations with their ice cream card and uh, even offering, you know, the big, the big decorative sculptures that uh, right in, in front of the building and, and allow people to say, hey, there is a brand there. We can participate. We can be more curious, right? 
igniting curiosity, I think, should always be part of the roster of objectives that these activations have. In addition to awareness, as you said, yep. and in addition to creating desire. But just curiosity for me would be enough to say, hey, what's happening? Why does it look different? Definitely. I, d- I definitely feel like that's number one. They have piqued a lot of curiosity. Let's talk about Fifth Avenue for a sec because, you know, I'm noticing that sh- other shopping districts are investing in their space. They're investing in their footprint to strengthen the economy, to drive more traffic, to drive tourism dollars. Is this working? Is this something like, do you feel like they, do you feel like shopping districts, and we've seen it done in the Miami district, which looks amazing. Yep. It's like night and day seen the investment. And so do you feel like it can work in specific locations or is this something that all shopping districts should try to do? I think that we cannot escape the fact that people develop preferences because even neighborhoods can be light luxury brands can be cooler one day and uh, Mm -hmm. are interesting to people. So maybe young people today don't necessarily want, if they're in New Yorkers, maybe they don't want to work at that don't want to go to Rockefeller Center, but they want to go to Williamsburg in Brooklyn. And and if you're in New Yorkers, you may want to stop by Madison Avenue, but then maybe Fifth Avenue is a stretch, depending on where you live. Right. So I think there is right. that cyclicality, which is difficult to manage for sure. But if the work is being done to really identify the pillars that make the brand of each one of these neighborhoods, I do believe that there is a lot of space for successful activations. And and I think that Fifth Avenue would be a prime location to do things like that. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. I think so too. So hopefully in the next few years, we might see something really cool happening on that avenue. So I, I want to shift right from luxury brands to talk about these fast fashion brands like Sheen and Alibaba. Are you familiar with either two here? I don't like I them. Don't. <laughs> and I like them because they they continue training younger people to spend money on items that are completely of the lowest quality. They produce in great numbers, so they fall back into this fashion cycle of of tons of inventory and increased consumerism that is not helping anybody. But at the same time, these are not items that you can recycle or upcycle. These are not items that will sustain the wear, you know. So, so no, I don't see them. I see them as the enemy. And this is a public podcast and this is a very strong word. But, you know, it's great to have access to this marketplace. But I think they're by definition the opposite of all these great novel ideas that we were discussing earlier that relate to luxury. Do you feel like this, like, let's say, for instance, shame, do you think they will ever be able to attract the luxury consumer? I don't think so. I, I think that they're, they're not imaginative. The designs are not really Love theirs. It. The designs are copies of other designs. Yeah. The material, the textiles, the production processes. There is nothing luxury about the product. Now, if they were to re 
design the organization and how they think about product, maybe then right. you already have the brand awareness and maybe it becomes a strong brand. But I think that's the most difficult jump, right? If you have been in the mass right. market, you cannot climb up to get to the luxury top. If you are luxury, Me. you can very easily roll down and fall down, right? And, and lose the right. luxury status. But it's, that's what makes it so difficult. That's actually a really great analogy. Well put. I mean, I don't know if you noticed, like in the magazines, like Women's Wear Daily, there's always, there has been conversations of new creative directors and it's been happening. I feel like over the last six to 10 months, certain brands have made changes. And from the outside, people can say, oh, well, so hard to get a new creative director. Just get the person that was underneath that person. Is there a process to finding a new creative director? And what does that look like? Interesting. This is the exact same course that I'm teaching this semester. So you're asking questions that are very, it's very difficult. And again, each brand needs to find new talent for different reasons. Depending on what the um, objective is, if you have a luxury brand, if we stay with luxury, right? Luxury fashion brands that are here to stay and they're here to create a heritage the same way Dior and Chanel created a heritage. Then you need to find Mm -hmm. someone who truly understands the codes of the brand that are in place, but that also have this creative way about them to innovate within the structure. It's almost like giving you the structure of a house, but it doesn't really have the feeling. It doesn't really have the walls. Yeah. It doesn't have the furniture. So if we both had the exact same model of the house, we would create two different houses, right? And so that's how I see the new fusion of talent that comes in in these luxury fashion brands. But each brand is at a different stage of their growth. So, for example, if you compare how Chanel uh, found a replacement for Karl Lagerfeld, and indeed it was his best assistant, right? The head designer. Mm-hmm. Very different from Louis Vuitton bringing in Kyle Williams right now because there are brands that have a different audience, that have different types of production, that right. have, they are at different stages in their growth. So we cannot see all as if they're at the same level, even if they all belong in the same group of brands. And, and this is what makes it very difficult to give you a straightforward answer. I think it really depends on what the brand needs maintain mm. the heritage, but continue innovating because you have to innovate and you have to speak to that audience that is culturally relevant to the right today, but also into the future. Well, I mean... I know you said it was difficult to say, but I felt like that was well said. Oh, I thought so. <laughs> so, Tamai, I didn't ask this question, but what attracted you to study or to even, yeah, let's say study luxury marketing? It is a little bit of a long story. The one thing that I will say is now looking back, now that I can look back and see, you know, the the overarching theme in my career is that I've always been drawn to beauty and aesthetics and design. And I, and I study design. I started as an architect. I'm a, I'm a licensed architect, actually. Nice. And, then, and then from that, I was also interested in writing and history. So I went deeply into art history. And that is what my PhD is on. 
And the one aspect that I only brought on later because I decided to go and get my MBA at NYU Stern, that is when I finally realized that, oh, I have these three important areas and I own all three, you know, I have mastered them and I keep studying, of course, but I understand the design issue. I understand the heritage and, 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 you know, behavior of people through history. And I understand corporate finance and how businesses make money. And that was the moment when I really realized that I could start designing courses. I could offer advice to people who were in industry because often or up until that moment, people were coming in only from one end. Maybe you had a finance advisor or maybe you had someone who would advise you on bringing about your grant archives. But you need, you need a strategy that explores everything at the same time. Um, and, and sometimes you need to shift, right? Every brand is different again, as I said. So you need to put emphasis on one of these areas in order for it to grow and be competitive in the marketplace. And, and I never look back because I love it. This is, I, I truly love it. That was going to be my next question. And I'm glad you're not. And I'm glad. And for me, I, I want to keep this conversation going. Like, I feel like I want to be a student and just like in one of your classes, or I might just, you may just find me, you know, you might look back and you might just see me there. I might just drop in one day <laughs> because I'm, I, you know, I love speaking about luxury and I'm so, you know, for, you know, this isn't a conversation for everyone, but for me, this has been really awesome. And so we're going to shift gears into our speed round. This is where I, I ask guests 10 questions and they can only plead, plead the fifth once. And so Tomai has not seen these questions. And so I promise I will not put you on the spot, but I know you are also not shy. So you do have the option to plead the fifth ones, but I feel like you're going to answer all of them. So are you ready? I am ready. Your favorite luxury brand uh, at the moment? Hermes. The most overrated brand, luxury brand? Ooh. I plead the fifth. Ooh, I thought I was going to get an answer out of her. Let's see if we can get this one. The most underrated luxury brand. The Row. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. Paris or New York City for retail shopping? New York City. Okay. What is your most luxurious item? And it doesn't have to be as far as... You know, it can be in terms of what we spoke about. It can also be in terms of what you mentioned, the spiritual, emotional connection. I have to say here, I will be a little bit more verbose. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of beautiful objects and I really treasure every single thing in my immediate environment. But I do have a very large collection, very large collection of Hermes scarves that I collect. Lovely, lovely. And your favorite quote to live by? Why not? Is that like, why not when you like time to take a risk? Yes. Try everything. Be curious. Of course, be safe. But, but I don't think, I think that a lot of younger people are trying to be very calculative about everything. And you cannot. You have to take risks and you need Step out of, I, I know it's a cliche, but I'm going to say step out of your comfort okay. zone. So okay. why not try what truly makes your heart go beat 
faster. And then maybe mm. that leads you somewhere. And so that's, don't have the plan, in other words. Don't stick to the plan. Just try things out. I think you're amazing. Like you've hit that, especially with myself. Doing this podcast has definitely been something that's been out of my comfort zone. And it does make my heart beat a little faster. And that's when I know that you just keep going. Like that is the risk that you're supposed to take. So I, I, I 100% agree with Tomai's quote. Do you have a favorite student? A favorite student, I have had several favorite students. And actually, I, I have to say, I have created almost like a family, not because uh-huh. I do anything, but because they come back to me after mm-hmm. years of having left school. And that makes me extremely happy. I think these students are people who have listened, not really, mm-hmm. but have listened to, to everything that has been offered to them. And they're appreciative and open. They come back to offer to the next generation. And I think that idea awesome. of being successful and, and, and having a sense of service, it's rare, but it's extremely wonderful to see. And that's how you know your impact too on them too as well. So yes, that's, that's true. Very cool. Yeah. Tomai, thank you so much for this, for being our guest. For those that were listening, I hope you got at least something out of it, something out of luxury, you know, maybe it might have inspired you to make a purchase or maybe it allowed you to see things differently. Maybe you were able to understand luxury a bit more. And if so, then we have accomplished our goal here for today's show. Um, But I really want you all to listen to Tomai's words of wisdom today. And she mentioned this word a lot and it was curiosity. Be curious you know, take that chance. Why not? Like she said, and just go for it until next time. Bye. Mm -hmm.